Thank you for downloading the following message from the Pickerington Church of Christ. We pray that this message will be a blessing to you as you walk with the Lord. For more information or to find additional resources, locate us on the web at pickeringtonchurch.org. Enjoy the message. We come to a really simple story this morning. Jesus, the master teacher, the man who spoke the most powerful words ever spoken by anybody, impactful words, words that were simple, yet rich and full of important things to say. He said that his word that he spoke was full of spirit, and it was full of life. So when he spoke to people, when people listened to him, it had more of an effect than anybody else could ever have if the soil was ready and it was receptive. You see, when Jesus was teaching these parables in, the whole, in his whole life, especially here in Matthew chapter 13, he had two really simple objectives with those that were gathered around him. And this happened every time that a crowd would gather around Jesus, they were full or mingled together with different groups of people. And Jesus had a couple objectives. The first one was this. He wanted to teach and train his disciples for kingdom living. Over and over he would say, repent, the kingdom of heaven is at hand, the kingdom of heaven is here. There are those of you who will not taste death death until you see the kingdom full in its power. And so Jesus was intent on teaching his disciples how to be ready to live in the kingdom. And at the same time, Jesus also wanted to bring conviction to those who were listening, but not yet submitted to him as Lord. There were a lot of people that would gather around him who were maybe critics of him, or maybe just um, interested in what he had to say, but not yet submitted. And there were people who were trying to manipulate him at times. And he wanted to speak in these stories, these parables, not just to train his disciples to be kingdom ready, but to convict those who weren't there for the right reason. You see, when Jesus speaks, he can tell one story or one phrase, and distinction happens in that one story between the two groups. Clarity can come. He speaks with just such simplicity, but with almost unbearable force and weight. I look up to Jesus because he has the courage to say the heaviest things of life, and then he just lets them sit there with the awkward silence. He has the kind of security, confidence, courage, and then love to say the hardest things to people and then not change the subject. Just let it sit and weigh on them. To do this now, to get his point across here, he's going to turn to a parable using agriculture. And in this parable, there's a basic truth, and it's really simple, that there will be an ultimate cosmic separation between those who respond to Jesus by faith and those who do not respond to Jesus by faith. It's that simple. It's that clear. It's that plain. And for us to understand this, he turns to the life of the simple farmer and the story of what a farmer would go through on a daily basis for us to understand some deep nuance about life and who we are in response to Jesus. So in the spirit of being simple, I want you to see this story in a group of pairs. 
two sowers, two seeds, and two responses, okay? There's two different sowers, two different kinds of seed, and there are two responses that you've got to see. And I think if we walk through this story, you're going to see both the importance of it and the weight of it, and ultimately we'll see how we need to respond. Let's start with the two sowers. There's a man who sows good seed. He sows good seed, and then there's an enemy of this master who sows bad seed. It's that simple. Good guy and bad guy. Most great stories start out that way, right? We've got a good guy and a bad guy. And one of them sowing good seed, and one of them is bad seed. And we learn over in uh, verse 36, when Jesus explains the parable, that Jesus is the one who is the good one, the son of man, and then the devil, Satan, is his enemy. And it first tells us that the kingdom of Jesus is planning. If you notice there in verse 24, he says, the kingdom of heaven is compared to a man who sows good seed in his field. And in the explanation, it says the field is the world. The seed that he's planting are the sons of the kingdom. And then the enemy comes and he sows bad seed. And the very first thing that we can see in this story is this, that the kingdom Jesus plants in the world will face opposition. We'll face people that are against it. It faces those who are not with it. It has an enemy to it. And that's the constant language you find in the, New, in the New Testament, that if you are a believer in Jesus Christ, if you have become a Christian, you exist in a world with beings that are not for the kingdom of God and its progress. Christians should not be surprised at resistance and even persecution for their beliefs. We as believers, even though we've lived in a culture and in a nation that has allowed Christianity to grow and to flourish, should not be surprised when there are forces, people, and beings that are not supportive of Christianity. We should probably do well by not being so shocked when that happens to us. He says that's what happens here in this, in this world. We're in a war zone. There is conflict. It's not with other people, but with Satan, the enemy of God himself. And this parable teaches us about who this enemy is. Notice he says that he is, in verse 39, if you look over there, that, uh, pardon me, he says, the weeds are the son of the evil one, the enemy is the one who sows them, and he's the devil, Satan, this being that's against God. And if you notice when you read the story there, he's very deceptive and he's very crafty. When you watch the work of Satan throughout his existence here in Scripture, especially, you see that he's a deceptive, crafty, manipulative liar. That's who he is. That's how he works. He comes when the hardworking servants of the Lord are asleep. He does his work by sowing the seed of the weeds, the tares, and then he leaves, and his work actually goes unnoticed for a period of time. You notice the, the servants don't notice that the seed is sown, by the devil they notice when it starts to grow they're like well wait a minute there's wheat and now there's tares you see this is how devil the devil works he shows up in in strange ways in ways that we're not familiar with he sows and does his work and it can go unnoticed for a period of time but here's what i want you to notice about his work when the enemy shows up and sows these tares into the field what is he really trying to hurt or maybe better asked, who is he trying to hurt? The devil, Satan's intention in sowing the seed is not necessarily designed just to hurt the wheat. 
he's really trying to hurt the master. You notice that when he says, the, um, uh, when the servants come to the master and say, hey, wait a minute, what happened? I thought you sowed good seed. Should we tear out all of these weeds so the wheat can grow? And the master says, hey, leave them alone. You can leave that weed alone because the wheat will grow. The sowing of the seed that Satan does here does not impact or hurt the wheat necessarily. It would if the servants pulled it out. It could damage the wheat. But if you leave it alone, it will just grow right alongside of the wheat. Do you see that? But what he's trying to do is hurt the reputation of the master. He's trying to hurt him. Satan works so hard to rob God of his glory. Look what the servants say. If you look down at verse 28, it says, He said to them, uh, pardon me, um, verse 27, The servants of the master of the house came and said to him, Master, did you not sow good seed in your field? You see, immediately they're looking at their master saying, Hey man, I thought you did a good job here. I thought you sowed the right seed. What happened? What did you do? He's trying to rob the master of his honor, of his glory. And that's been Satan's intent from the very beginning of his existence. He works hard to rob God of his glory. He does everything he can to make God look bad. He wants people to see God's work as a failure. He wants people to see God only growing weeds or useless things. He wants the world to see that following Jesus Christ is useless. It won't change your life. It won't make a difference. It's a waste of time. So when people look at the field and they see these things growing, they see it's a waste, that the master is useless. That means that the way that you and I live as believers bear weight on giving glory to Jesus Christ. The way that we live. And that's what Satan is after. Now what about the other guy, Jesus? The Son of Man, the Good Sower. Here's something you need to know about him. Even though he has an enemy... And even though this enemy seeks to vandalize his hard work, the reality is Satan doesn't win. Even if it seems like it, even if there's weeds that are growing amongst the wheat, he doesn't win. Satan cannot stop the good work of Jesus Christ. Jesus plants children in the kingdom of God. That's what he does, and it works. When he sows this seed, children of God grow. And so you need to know two things about that. Number one, if you are here today and you are a Christian, you are a believer in Jesus Christ, you are a child of the kingdom because of the work of Jesus Christ. I don't mean that just academically, that you know who Jesus is. I don't mean that just historically, like what Jesus has done. I'm saying Jesus Christ works through the very people that brought you to faith to become a Christian. He works through you today. When you reach out to people, you are the hands, the feet, the mouth of Jesus to reach other people. Jesus' work always works. Second thing you need to know is this. In spite of Satan's best effort, Satan does not win. When you get to the end of the story, it says that he, at harvest time, he brings the weeds and the wheat and he separates them and his barn is full. His work is successful. In spite of Satan's best effort, to manipulate the servants, to harm the glory and honor of the master. He is not successful in this. So as you exist and as you live and you work in this world as a believer in Jesus Christ and Satan is attacking you and Satan is coming after you and Satan is trying to hurt you, he will not be victorious if you stay connected to Jesus Christ. He's not more powerful than him. So we need to respect him as an enemy but not be afraid of him. 
We need to revere God and through Jesus Christ understand that He will be successful. That means this, that every ounce of our hope must be pinned upon Jesus Christ and Jesus alone. He is the master sower. He is the one who will be successful. You and I cannot pin our hopes on ourselves. We can't pin our hopes on a church leader or the person who fills a pulpit. You and I can't even pin our hopes upon the resident of the White House. You must only pin your hopes on Jesus Christ. He will be successful regardless of what the world is doing. Second thing, two sowers, there's two seeds. Again, the story is simple. The good one, the Son of Man, sows a good seed, produces children of the kingdom. The evil one sows a bad seed and produces children of the evil one. Reminds us of the language we see in Genesis chapter 3. When God was giving the curse, when he said, listen, there will be a seed of the woman and the seed of the devil, and I will put enmity between them. There will be an enmity, a, a, a violence between them. And he continues with this language that there is either children of God or children of the evil one. Now, Jesus is really intentional when he teaches this lesson here, this parable. He, um, you might have the word for the seed that the, that the enemy sows as, it might be translated as a tear, or maybe as the word weed in your, in your Bible. But it's actually a very specific one. It's not just like when you would say there's weeds in my yard and there's all kinds of different plants that are in there. Jesus actually uses a very specific word, and that word um, is darnel. And darnel is something that farmers in that region absolutely hated. They despised it. It would be like you and I knowing something as specific as a dandelion, right? You could see it, you could pick it out, you know exactly what it is. So farmers knew exactly what darnel was. It was a type of weed that would get into their crops, and the reason they hated it so much was that it looked exactly like the wheat until harvest time. So the wheat would grow, and the darnel would grow, and they looked exactly the same until harvest time when there was no grain in the darnel. That's the only difference. You see, farmers hated it because it looked just like their wheat, but it had no grain in it, so it was a waste of ground. Most of the growing life of both the wheat and the darnel, you couldn't tell the difference with your eyes. You had to wait to see if it would produce fruit or not. And here's the point. Satan is so deceptive that he sows counterfeit sons of the kingdom and daughters of the kingdom. He sows those that look like believers until there is no fruit to be produced. And this is where things get heavy. And things get sobering to us if we'll listen. And this is where people-pleasing preachers can get a little bit weak sometimes. Jesus, without a flinch, says, listen, there will be people who look like believers but are not. And there will be people who are believers that have fruit. And he was speaking to people because it's much better to get the sting in the moment than the separation in eternity. You see, what separates them is their fruit. And what he's trying to get after is the books that we read, the language that we know, the scriptures that we quote, the articles that we post on Facebook do not distinguish us as the wheat or the sons of the kingdom because both the wheat and the weeds look the part. They make the arguments. They sound alike. 
What separates them is the fruit of what they produce in their life. You see, to say that you love and you follow Jesus means that you love people, God's people, and even, yes, your enemies, your neighbor. You love them. It means that you love to serve with your hands and your feet. To be a believer means that you are quick, listen up, to forgive. It means that you fight against the lust of your flesh with promises from the gospel and you resist with strength. It means that you are ready to own and confess your sin, yes, to God, but also to other people that you have hurt and you're ready to apologize. Ask for forgiveness. It means that you trust the grace that comes from God to you and you live guilt-free because of that. It means that you're generous with your resources, stuff that God gives you, time, money, energy, those things that God gives you. When you see the world, you're generous with those things because God has been so merciful and generous to you. To say that you are a son or daughter of the king means that you're satisfied and content. You're not hustling with this discontent that you don't have enough, but you're content and satisfied with God. It means that we follow through with our words. When we say we'll do something, we actually show up and do what we say we'll do. We're not flippant with what we say. It means that we defend people who are marginalized and hurting in the world. We see those who are suffering and we move towards them and care for them. You see, the idea of being a Christian is how we live. Sitting on a hill, light in the world, that when people watch with their eyes, not just listen with their ears, they see that God's love has made a difference in how we live. You see, the way that we treat each other, the way that we share love, the way that we are radically different becomes the very magnet that draws lost people to the love of Jesus. And that's what he's talking about here. He's saying, don't be like the darnel that looks like and talks like a believer but doesn't have the fruit make sure that you are the seed let's get to the two responses two sowers two seeds two responses the first one is this jesus gives us a really serious warning against being judgmental and executing god's justice you notice the servants their first reaction when they see the weeds growing up amongst the weed uh, amongst the wheat their first thing, they go to the master and say, hey man, I thought you planted good seed. What's happened? He says, an enemy has done this. And the servants, being faithful and good, they love the master, they care for the wheat. They say, hey man, do you want us to pull all these weeds out? Do you want us to rip them out of the field? And the master, with the long-term view, patient and wise, says, no, just let it sit for a minute. At the harvest time, we'll be able to separate it. Right now, you can't separate it. Right now, they look the same, but when the harvest comes, separation will be done, and it'll be handled by the angels of God, not them. And here's what he's trying to say. Just leave it alone. And the principle is this. You see, there's always a truth with the parable, and then there's some principles that you and I can learn. We'll come back to the truth in a minute, but I want to tell you this principle that I think Jesus is teaching us. You and I should focus on growing what is good over just removing what is bad you understand christianity is not just about resistance but about growth and what is right christianity is not all-encompassing just a list of don'ts in your world it's not just here's what you can't do and here's what you ought not to do christianity is here's what you ought to be grow what is good now watch how this principle 
can actually be applied to so many different contexts. Take your own personal sanctification, your own life. God wants you to focus on growing what is right, and when you do that, you'll choke out that which is bad. If you zero in on prayer and scripture and fasting, if you zero in on serving and caring, this text that Josh read for us at the communion said, here, listen, if you want to perfect God's love in you, serve other people. Just move out and care for people. And if you focus on growing what is right, that which is evil will start to go away. This works in your marriages. Hopefully you just have one. I meant plural for all of you. How successful are you at changing what's bad in your spouse? Are you great at it? Pulling all those weeds out. Man, look at all these weeds. I'm going to rip these all out. And when you do that, you end up hurting what's good in them, right? Maybe often we ought to think about growing what's good in these relationships. Parenting. Parents, aren't there sometimes we just have to let some things ride? and focus more on growing what is right in them and good in them and building up and watering and fertilizing and planting more seed of what is good in them? There's some wisdom here that God is showing us. The reality is this. When it comes to sons and daughters of the kingdom and our role in this, only the master removes the weeds. He can distinguish between the two. We can't read the hearts and minds of people. Our job, here he says, we are wheat, and our job isn't to eradicate hypocrites but to focus on producing fruit. That's the job of the wheat. The second response is this. Not just a warning against being judgmental, but there's a warning of judgment. And here's where Jesus is so explicitly clear, and so I must be as well. At the end of this parable, he says there is a separation. At the harvest time, angels come, reap the harvest, separate wheat from the tares into torment, frustration, misery. Hell is a topic that we don't like, understandably so, but necessary. And something we must understand, and the idea of hell has really fallen on some hard times in our culture because of a lot of different cultural reasons it's not important today, but here's what you need to know about hell. First of all, there is an element of hell that is God's action. It's a deliverance of punishment. Punishment to those who have rejected His will, His way, and His glory. And that is just for a glorious and honorable and holy God to do. The other aspect of hell is this, that it's your action. A lot of us don't like to think of it this way, but it's true. Hell is a choice. Hell is a choice that we make. See, hell's natural consequence, hell is the natural consequence, pardon me, of rejecting God in your life. It's saying, I value being autonomous, running my own life over God running my life. And the end result of that is eternal life without Him. God is the source of joy and peace and love and life. And to be separated from Him is the absence of those things. That's what misery and death, that's what hell is. It was C.S. Lewis who said it this way, at the end of your life, God will either say, you will either say to God, your will be done, Or God will say to you, your will be done. Meaning this, I'll give you what exactly you've asked for. Life without me. And God's action plus our action equals the result of hell, which is just separation. That's all hell is, separation. Loss of fellowship with God. 
As I said, it's his presence that gives life and love and joy and peace. And hell is where inhabitants lose God and they're left only with themselves. An unsatisfied anger, misery, and torment. No one taught about hell more often and more vividly than Jesus Christ. And it makes sense because his whole life revolved around helping people escape. His whole existence was for that. And understanding the reality of hell should sober us about life, but it also should soften us to the love of Jesus. Now watch this. Hell shows you, if you understand what hell is, as I've described, hell can show you the greatness of Christ's love for you. If our sin, if my sin alone, just mine, deserves what I've described, an eternal separation from the God of love and life, what should I think about the three hours on the cross and finally when Jesus said, it is finished? If just mine, now take my sin, multiply by the sins of the world, and then condense that like a bouillon cube into three hours on the cross when the world went dark. What did Jesus go through? What did he experience? Wow. When he said it is finished, he meant it. What he felt on the cross was worse than anything I could ever come up with worse than all that hell's deserved together and the bible says it pleased him to do it it was his very joy because he knew as he went through that and came back he would give us a path of redemption that tells you how much you're loved and we spend so much time so much energy thinking and working and, and, and strategizing about trying to find a replacement for the single love of Jesus Christ in our life. It was Augustine who said, our souls are restless until they find rest in him and him alone. You have a God-shaped hole in your heart. And we need to have that filled only by Jesus Christ. If, we're here, if you're here and you need to understand that love more, to be connected to that love, it's found in Jesus Christ. You've got to know who he is, believe in him, understand him, and when you get who he is, you'll have some questions. And we're here to help you answer those questions about how to become one with Jesus Christ. If we can help you now, let's stand and sing. You can come.